This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air. Welcome to Headscarves and Good Yarns with me, Amal Abdullahi. The show is all about talking about race, diversity, and everything in between, all in the hopes of empowering a more empathetic Aotearoa. We talk about all these huge life things through the lens of people's lives and stories. I hope every yarn you take a wee gem from it and expands your heart and mind just a wee bit more. Kia ora, alaikum. Welcome to another episode of Headscarves and Good Yarns. Um, before we get into all of the corridor for today, I just wanted to take a time out to, first of all, express my excitement that the days are starting to get longer and summer is on the horizon. I honestly, I think it's just like my ancestral genes, like that recognize when the sun is coming out, but it, it just literally makes me feel a lot more happier Oddly, a lot more productive as well. I feel like winter just really slows me down. Um, and I don't know if any of you guys also feel like that as well. But, oh boy, am I so glad that it's sunnier days on the horizon. Um, but also, I hope everyone's doing well. I feel like this time of the year, we start to head into this vortex of like so many things happening right like people trying to tie all their loose ends before the year is finishing up you know students have got exams um people are planning christmas and new years and all the presents and all the gatherings and i don't know it just seems like the next couple of months just always seems so intense for people um and you know i i get it i don't celebrate christmas exactly but i get how this year like the, this time of the year gets really really busy for everyone so i hope everyone like takes care of themselves and still holds on to the foundational things that make you feel well and alive right because usually when things get really busy and hectic that's like the first thing to go like your quality of sleep or I don't know if you meditate or do any kind of gratitude practice or I don't know just taking time out for yourself like getting some movement in whether that looks like going for a walk or going to the gym or like you know whatever it is um but I feel like those are the things that often go first when we're we're all busy so I hope everyone just keeps that in mind as we kind of think about the last couple of months of 2021 which is also so crazy to think I just finished my um exams yesterday and it's so crazy to think that my like first year for this degree is done and dusted um it's gone by so quickly um so I hope everyone's yeah taking care of themselves and and doing well um there's actually a lot of stuff that I want to get stuck into for this week um I have I must admit I have been kind of hibernating from the rest of the world while I've been preparing for exams so now that I've like come back or come through the other side I'm like whoa there's actually been so much happening um and the first thing that I wanted to talk about was the quote-unquote influencer party I I just I'm not too sure how I feel about that word it's an interesting word um definitely there's pros and cons to it but I just think it's strange um, that it was called that. But anyways, the quote-unquote influencer party, and I'm sure everybody has heard about it, but just in case you haven't, a quick recap. So Auckland is currently in level three, and that is basically lockdown with takeaways. So, you know, you're not extending 
your bubble by a huge amount or anything. You're still in lockdown. You still have to stay at home um, unless you're an essential worker or, you know, for other legitimate reasons. Um, but in the North Shore, uh, all of these influencers came together and had this massive big F off party. And... Um, I'm not from Auckland, so I don't really understand the areas, but what I've been told from North Shore is that it's a very affluent area, um, a lot of privilege, right, compared to a place like South Auckland, where when anything ever happens in South Auckland, the media just pounces. I swear to God, like, the media's just kind of like vultures waiting, circling around South Auckland um, and just w waiting for any opportunity to um, bag on South Auckland, but there was nothing mentioned about this uh, influencer party. Um, and even there was like no police presence. And um, I've been seeing lots of, oh, we love social media, um, but I've, we've been see, I've been seeing lots of uh, like TikToks and Instagram posts and stuff where, you know, people were complying with the level through regulations, um, but had a huge amount of police presence in South Auckland, but somehow, you know, this influencer party was able to just happen and there was no police presence. Um, no, I think nothing would have ever, ever happened if it wasn't for um, Chanel Lyle's post. And they are an epic um, advocate for diversity and inclusion and um, the leader of um, ending, uh, oh, banning, Gay conversion therapy. Sorry, my brain got a little bit confused just seeing of the order of the words. Um, but yeah, that is um, their mahi, and they made a post about it, kind of calling out the um, double standards. And uh, that post absolutely took off. Um, you know, the media picked it up. Though interestingly, the media didn't say like North Shore. It was just like Auckland influencer party. Um, and I thought that was horrible because South Auckland does not have, you know, that privilege of being part of the Auckland narrative whenever it's something bad, right? It's always, oh, South Auckland. Um, and there's that degree of separation. But, you know, whenever something amazing happens in South Auckland, then um, the media adopts, you know, that wider Auckland narrative, which is just complete BS. But anyways, the news picked it up and um, the person who organized the party who is 28 years old by the way holy heckers i just assumed it was like kids um because why else would you organize a party on that scale um at that age but anyways i yeah i just thought it was teenagers um but the person who organized the party was arrested and um it's been interesting, like, look, looking at what's happening in the online space in response to that, right? A couple of episodes ago, I was talking about um, cancel culture. And, you know, who who is getting cancelled? Why are they getting cancelled? And people who do participate in it, is it an opportunity for that other person to grow or more, you know, to satisfy participating in something where the collective is is ganging up on someone and me personally I absolutely uh, think there's no value behind cancel culture um, 
you know, often it's now become this opportunity for people to just get in and bag on bag on people and send horrible things like death threats and like using utterly disgusting language that I feel like people would not use if it was in real life. So using the anonymity and oh, I struggle with saying that word. You know how there's just like a list of words that you cannot say that is on my list. But anyways, you know, they're relying on the degree of separation being behind a screen rather than saying something to someone's face. And so, you know, people say the most horrible things, uh, which is not helpful to anyone in the situation. Um, I feel like, yeah, cancel culture doesn't provide any value. Um, there's no room for growth. Um, but people still need to be held accountable for their actions, right? So consequence culture is more the vibe that I think makes a lot more sense because there's still that opportunity to preserve that um, person's self-worth. So, you know, you're not making death threats and you're not cursing their ancestors and their generations to come. Um, absolutely, like, no one deserves that. Um, but then there's still that opportunity to be like, hey, like, what you did was actually not on and you know whatever your intentions are or whatever was going in the background like the damage was still done and now instead of focusing on whatever happened like how are you going to move on from this how are you going to grow as a person from this but I think as a collective as a society we're not ready for that conversation um I think honestly people really love getting behind cancelling people um which makes which makes no sense um I was having this conversation um with my friend the other day um she came up to visit Wellington and we were talking about how you know within the uh Islamic community there's a whole lot of that going on too um and there's you know one of the big like a a big thing about being in the Islamic community is that you give dawah and giving dawah is like giving guidance and support to your other Muslim brothers and sisters but I feel like that dawah has now become so toxic it definitely is in line with um the same behaviors that you see with cancel culture um especially the more pub like the more public the figure is people just whew, go in and that's something that I noticed with this influencer party too like all of these people public figures um so they got a lot of public hate for it because they choose to put their lives out there and okay sure people who choose to put their lives out there you know that discourse does go out into the public sphere more than someone who isn't online or someone who's just you know your friend or someone that you know from school or whatever but that still isn't an opportunity to just completely bag on that person um 
because I'm honestly shocked. People say horrible things. I remember when there was this um, Islamic uh, influencer, uh, a YouTube star. She got really famous because she did do videos um, about how to style your hijab. And such a pivotal moment because back then it was very much struggle city for um us Muslim girls like we would go into the stores and there would be nothing that would be modest and fashionable I think things are a lot better now um, like what my young sister is wearing compared to like what I was wearing when I was her age oh like there's a big difference um, but back then it really was struggle city so to have someone like Dina come onto a big platform like YouTube and be like hey ladies like this is how we can still dress modestly but like look really good and like for other people who were non-Muslim to look at it and be like wow like I appreciate this other way of dressing and this other way of being so that was that was amazing um, and then a couple years went by, you know, she produced her own, like she made her own hijabs and she had all these businesses and so a really big platform on YouTube, but she also made her own business and hustled really hard. Um, a couple years went by, um, and she put a video out where she said, you know, you know what, I'm, I don't want to, or I choose not to wear the hijab anymore. I'm still a Muslim, um, but wearing hijab at this point in my life is just not, aligned with you know who I am where I want to be blah 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 like for what I can't remember the reason but anyway she said that she is not wearing the hijab anymore the Muslim community responded and oh my goodness they tried so hard to cancel her um went after her family her friends um she put out a 50 minute almost 50 minute video and you know, it was just her reading all the hate comments that she got. And watching, I couldn't even watch the full thing because I was like, this is this is getting too much. Um, you know, there were mentions of how her children um, ought to, to die. And I was like, that is, that is like disgusting and that is too much. Um, but it just made me think, wow, you know, we're really brought up with this idea that we look after each other and we're brothers and sisters and in Islam and then for someone to choose not to wear the hijab which first of all entirely they're like within their rights um but there was no opportunity for growth in those hate comments it was just pure hate like if the intention was for um these people who were making these comments for Dina to be like oh like thank you for your input like maybe actually I should think about wearing the hijab again or or I actually didn't think about it from that point of view um then you know the way they actually typed out those comments there was no opportunity for growth um and these comments were there were so many of them um there's just so much hate and when I was looking at what was happening or what was happening in the online space with this influencer party I was like again like there's so much hate there's I think yeah people just enjoy participating um on mass and you kind of see this idea of just people participating because everyone else is um you know when everyone was posting black squares last year um in solidarity with the black lives matter movement 
it just makes me question, well, how much of it was you intentionally posting that black square or you felt you had to because everyone else is doing it? Um, you, yeah, I feel like we definitely see this en masse kind of just joining in with whatever is happening. And it honestly, it needs to stop. It's not okay. Um, I can understand, now I'm just speaking specifically to the influencer party situation now, I can understand people's frustrations, especially if you are in Auckland and you are following the rules and abiding the level three regulations and then to see, you know, a bunch of really privileged people putting it, um, saying it really um, straightforward, like put it, seeing these privileged people just go out, have a party and not suffer any real consequences from it that would be horrible that would be like of course you'd feel some type of way about it um but I just don't agree with this like public wave of hate there's another way to hold people accountable for their actions there's another way to call people forward um to be better and if we genuinely want to see people be held accountable, like I think definitely think twice before you post that horrible comment. Um, especially, I feel like cancel culture has really come up since, you know, we've moved to this online space. And, you know, whether we like to admit it or not, so much of our lives are lived online right like if you think about how many hours of the day you do give up to being online how much um you know about other people's lives being online um what i as an experiment and it was this i did this years ago i don't know if i'd be able to do it now to be perfectly honest but years ago i just completely went off social media for like three months so it was like over the summer um actually it would have been more than three months so like after my exams finished in november i didn't log into facebook again until the end of february or the beginning of march and what i noticed during that time is um a how much accessibility i gave to other people who i didn't really talk to on a day-to-day -day basis and b how much i knew about other people's lives um but on a day-to-day -day basis I don't know if we were if we were in the moment together if I would tell them that do you know what I mean like we just and I realized yeah how much of my life has just kind of lived through that online sphere and it's not a bad thing I mean I've learned some really cool things off social media and met some really cool people as well um but I think we do have to acknowledge just like exactly how much of our lives are lived on social media it is massive and you know since social media has become more intertwined with our day-to-day -day lives um i think cancel culture has given has been given more of a platform to exist and to proliferate and people just participate without really thinking about the fact that there's actually another human on the other side on the receiving end of whatever nasty things people are saying um and also another thing that I really hate about cancer culture is it kind of spells the end right um for whether it's a company or a brand or a person you know it kind of spells the end for for that particular you know company personal thing um and there's no opportunity to ever get back into 
to do better. I think you keep doing your, you always do your best right until you know better. So you do better. Um, but there's no opportunity for people to kind of get back up and be like, okay, now that I know better, let's do better. Um, cancel culture just ends everything entirely. Um, which I think is horrible. Just like that automatic cancellation, um, with no opportunity for ever coming back. It's just an entire cancellation, um, which is also not great for, you know, especially if that um, person or that company or that group genuinely want to do better and want to to grow. Um, and it's hard to to grow in front of the eyes of many, Um it is and I understand that also kind of there's that tension with well if you were done wrong by whatever was said or done um you know the emotions involved are a lot more stronger um but I'm talking specifically for people or groups that genuinely want to do better how on earth is that meant to happen if there's that automatic cancellation and there's like no opportunity to kind of come back onto your feet right um, which I hate about cancel culture, um, but with consequence culture, there is that opportunity to do better. So, you know, I just, I hope we kind of move away from cancel culture and acknowledge that, yes, when people do shitty things, they should be held accountable because how are you ever going to grow if people don't pull you up for what you were doing um but also then the reverse is well how do we ever expect to move on and be better because the result of cancel culture is you're not actually addressing the problem at hand right like whether it's racism or classism sexism like whatever it is with cancel culture you're not actually nothing's being addressed nothing's being changed like what cancel culture is saying is well if you do something shitty you're that's it that's it you're done and over done and dusted and so it it doesn't actually help with the cause of oh you know this is how we actively need to be anti whatever it is it's just this negative reinforcement all the time um and nothing's ever going to change if it's just constant negative reinforcement but with consequence culture there's that negative reinforcement in the sense that you're calling people forward um to do better but then you know you give people the opportunity to to bounce back and to learn and to have those conversations right because with cancel culture the only conversation is you suck you're a horrible person blah 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 but with consequence um culture even if you're not directly involved at least there can be con uh, conversations of oh so like you know why is this person being um held accountable for their actions what is it that was that did harm to others how can we ensure that this doesn't happen like there's more productive conversations around it um and i think for the long term that's what we need if we ever want anything to change right um the next thing that I wanted to talk about uh, was blackfishing um, and this came to front of mind because of what's been happening with Little Mix and uh, Jesse Nelson. Um, Little Mix, 
I actually know I'm, I'm not gonna lie I'm still kind of obsessed with them but I definitely had a phase where I exclusively only ever listened to Little Mix songs um they're they are a girl group they were formed uh through one of those talent shows that Simon Cow produced I can't remember if it's like uh you know, Britain's Got Talent or like The Voice or something, but it was one of those shows. Um, and they formed a group. Um, and then a couple years ago or not too long ago, one of the members of the group, Jessie, um, left and she just kind of cited reasons that it was for her own mental health. And honestly, fair enough, she's gone through, she's gone through a lot since the beginning of Little Mix's career. Um, Jessie, compared to the other girls who kind of fit that um like the body type that we typically see in pop stars they fit that right but Jessie she didn't and so people were absolutely um horrible towards her like the online bullying that she faced because um her body didn't fit that stereotype just honestly disgusting she like such a beautiful woman um and you know she and also regardless of what her like body looks like she's an incredible singer and she was so valuable to the little mix group anyways <laughs> i'm just going on a rant because i honestly used to be really obsessed with the little mix um and yeah she so so she really like suffered a lot of um mental health issues because of the bullying and so she yeah decided to leave and everyone was I remember at the point I was like oh damn like we're so sad that Jessie was leaving um and now she's out here and she's promoting her own music which is really cool as well um but it's kind of stirred a lot of um controversy because her new song uh I actually don't even know what it's called to be honest not the best song um, but that's all right. That's all right. It's called Boys and it samples um, Diddy's song Bad Boys for Life and it has Nicki Minaj in it. And when the video dropped, you know, immediate criticism for the blackfishing. And because in the video, and I don't, until I started like researching more about um, like, you know, this whole GC thing and the whole blackfishing, I actually didn't realize that she is a Caucasian woman. I genuinely thought she was mixed as a whole entire time. And this is coming from someone who used to listen to Little Mix, like literally all the time. I just thought she was mixed because she was so tan, but she's actually just like a Caucasian woman from Essex. Um, and in this particular video, boys, like she really, really looks tanned. Um, and you know she's got the wig and the braids so it's not just about the skin tone like she's really out here um with the black aesthetic and black fishing has been around for a really long time and Jessie's not the first person um for black fishing there have been a lot of celebrities who have been accused so just uh, if you've never heard of the term before, blackfishing is when a white person tries to make themselves look black or mixed or racially ambiguous. So typically blackfishing, you know, it looks like really dark spray tans, the makeup and hairstyles are like braids or wigs, um, you know, makeup, you know, that emphasizes the big lips um, and, you know, all these, the way they 
present themselves to the world as features that are um, attributed with blackness or black culture. Um, and so, you know, there have been so many celebrities who have done this, like Rita Ora, because um, she is Albanian um, and a lot of fans called her out because she, you know, blackfished so much, uh, looked like, you know, she was biracial or black. Um, Kylie Jenner, or the, you know, actually all the Kardashians, I think they have been um, criticized for, you know, darkening their skin tone and adopting makeup and hairstyles that are synonymous with um, black culture. Um, we also have, yeah, actually all of the Kardashians, all of the Kardashians. Um, Addison Ray as well, the, the TikTok star. Um, Ariana Grande. Um, Bad Barbie. I actually don't know who that is, but Bad Barbie, um, Selena Gomez. She had a um, magazine cover, and her skin tone was made out to be a lot darker than it actually is. She's got the braids. Um, Iggy Azalea as well, the Australian rapper. Um, Gigi Hadid, she had a, the 2018 Vogue Italia cover, and y'all, they, they made her skin look dark, I don't know how much tan they put on her, but it unnaturally looks like a lot, um, and also BB Rexa and, uh, Doja Cat have been accused of uh, black fishing and then you know we have Jesse Nelson so there's like a long list of celebrities who have participated in black fishing and it's not a new term um, they say that black fishing started in the late 18th century or the early 19th century um, and it started in America where you know white people would make themselves look darker so it was a way for white people to go out in public and act like a clown like act like a fool um, because that kind of behavior was not appropriate for um, white folk and so you know white people would make themselves look uh, darker and yeah, and that would free them and allow them to act in ways that are not appropriate for uh, black people. And then this kind of practice just kind of moved onto stage, right? So it was singers and performers. Um, then we've seen it translate into cartoons as well with Mickey Mouse and, um, oh, what's the Disney one with the elephant? Dumbo? Oh, I hope I've remembered that correctly. But, you know, it's moved on to the cartoons, a cartoon animation space. Um, and now we see it with pop stars now. And I think the really dangerous thing about black fishing is that, you know, these people who are out here um, black fishing absolutely profit off blackness but in no way have to deal with the reality of being black right they can be out here um, profiting off looking 
black but don't experience the lack of opportunities they don't experience the um the doors that are shut they don't experience the microaggressions they don't experience um the racism they don't experience um being put behind other creators and being less prioritized um you know all of those realities that are associated with being black are just no way experienced by these people who are um you know who are black fishing and this is not something that you just see in the western space i mean it's global people are participating in in black fishing globally and it's the, and also the other thing about black fishing that I'm like, oh, that makes it just that extra little bit more shady is that it's so subtle. It's so subtle that we don't go out and say something about it. It's not the same as cultural appropriation, right? I think the discourse around cultural appropriation is people know or catching on more that it's not okay I mean you still see people doing some whack stuff like the other day um when I was checking my Instagram I saw posts about this um white lady I'm assuming it's America I uh, but I don't know for sure but it looked like it was um in America and you know wearing the um Indian American headdress as as a costume she was acting like a clown I'm not going to lie just making all these noises and making a complete mockery of the dancing and the culture um so you know when stuff like that happens I think we are very quick to call people forward and be like hey like that stuff is not okay um and you know I was talking about another example of cultural appropriation with my friends last night um you know James Corden having that show where celebrities are asked really questions that put them in hot water basically and to get themselves out of the hot water um they can either answer the question or eat food that's framed to be really disgusting um and so the audience is like oh, oh. like when these celebrities are out here eating these foods um but it's actually food that it's really central to a lot of people's cultures um and so people started calling that forward and being like hey you know what don't yuck my yum um yeah don't yuck my yum and I think we when it get when it comes to stuff like uh cultural appropriation we are having collectively having that having that awareness more and having those conversations around that but with black fishing it's so subtle right like you know all of these celebrities that I mentioned before if you had no idea of their heritage you know you would just be like oh okay and there's no way you're going to go up to someone and be like um call them out on their the identity that they present to the world right like if you had no idea otherwise these women out here really look like they are black women or mixed women there's no way you're going to go up to someone and be like I don't think you're that or like it's their identity which makes black fishing so crazy because it's you are like you know you're adopting another identity and completely profiting off that actually have no connection to that identity at all do not experience the real struggles with being a black person um 
yeah, black fishing is just, it's honestly insane. And, you know, because it's so subtle, we just allow it to happen. Like, all of these celebrities that I listed before, black fishing has most definitely profited. Um, they've profited off that. It's enhanced their career, which is so effed up. Because if you think about an actual mixed race person or an actual black woman who was in that same position or who is in that same position trying to get forth with their career, they wouldn't get as far. Um, and it's so effed up. It's so effed up. Um and I think people get confused between, uh, you know, black face and black fishing. But I think just black face is a lot more obvious and overt and it's more for making fun or making mockery of, right? But with black fishing, it's literally adopting another identity. And, oh, sorry, I just remembered what I was trying to say before. So... Black fishing is not just something that you see in like the Hollywood Western context. It's literally everywhere. You know, people uh, want to part like participate in black culture. You know, you see it in K-pop a lot as well. Um, and and K-pop I think is a little confusing because sometimes, you know, it is obvious cases of cultural appropriation um but there's a lot of black fishing as well um and i think you know since the world has become so globalized and the internet has taken off people are participating more right it's not just an american obsession with um black culture it's become a global thing and it's really interesting that you know black fishing and kind of profiting off black um blackness or thinking that parts of it are cool has taken off. But what's not taken off is that education and that learning, right? There's no acknowledgement of me styling my makeup like this or me having braids on or, or having hoop earrings, whatever has come from this context. Um, that learning hasn't taken off, even though there's every opportunity for that learning to happen. I mean, if you can Google how to look a certain way you can google how where that look came from um but it's just so interesting like i remember um when i was younger you know hoop earrings people would audibly say like "Ooh, like that's so ghetto you know people would like look at you know traits of blackness and be like Ooh, like that's so ghetto and like even um, having braids and cornrows like all of that that's so ghetto people do that now um, and it's not so ghetto it's pretty cool because you know someone who wasn't black kind of took that on board because um, that's the thing with black fishing kind of sets a precedent that precedent sorry that all of this kind of stuff is all good when when it really isn't um but it does kind of set that present that it's like this is all good and so now everyone thinks it's cool and now everyone starts participating but again none of that learning none of that accred accreditation um none of that it's so so strange um and i think it's something that we should think about when we're participating with the world like because I wonder if we were so 
observant and critical of black fishing if the Kardashians would be where they are right now. You know, we've like, by not having this awareness around black fishing, we're enabling like those who are not of mixed race, black heritage to profit off blackness and have their careers advanced um, and just widening that gap even more. Um, which is, yeah, very strange. I think what just gets me, what really plays with my mind the most is just this black fishing really is on that tightrope of identity. And that's something that's just so deeply personal to think that something so deeply personal like identity can be taken and like commercialized and profited off. So strange honestly so strange and I think well maybe not so much the makeup thing because I don't think you should ever put makeup in such a way it makes you look like you have a complete different skin tone um and this is just my personal opinion as well by the way but when it comes to things like hoop earrings and and wearing braids I mean go for it if you know the history if you know the context if you know how to honor those that came first and honor those where it truly came from go for it but people are not having these conversations they're not having that awareness um and i think that's where the problem really lies because people are profiting off other people's identity um and also another like really sneaky thing about black fishing compared to blackface um as i was saying before like blackface is there to make fun of make fun of people's identity it's 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 in a the tone of ridiculing or mockery but with black fishing it kind of comes in that tone of admiring right and how can anything be bad if you're just admiring taking inspiration from no <laughs> and even though it's framed like that it's still not great and something that we should call people forward for so yeah I just thought that was interesting that their whole black fishing discourse um came up again because of um yeah Jesse Nelson's new new single and actually I think another thing about the Jesse Nelson thing that kind of makes it um layered or that yeah there's more nuances to that is because she left a group where you know two of her other band members were actually of mixed race um and you know there have been previous interviews um where jesse has kind of shown her ignorance um, and you can see, and also, and I think the thing that's come up recently as well is she's deflecting responsibility and it's never her fault. Like she was making some statements that, you know, even though she wasn't a group with two other, um, you know, two of her bandmates were, are women of color, sorry. Um, they're not dead and well, are women of color. You know, she said, it, you know, they never spoke about it and they only started to talk about it when I was starting to leave the group. Like, how is it my fault? And that's something that you actually see a lot where the expectation is, put, you know, the labor is um, put on 
people of color and it doesn't matter how like how close your relation is to people of color in your life you still need to do the work and so for her to have the audacity to say something like that is not on and I, I don't blame Jessie she's not the only one who thinks like that um there is a lot of people um and even in my own life I've noticed this um people kind of expect me to pick up the slack um and and teach and to educate but regardless you you still need to do the work like when it comes to the black experience I I am like married to Arthur but I will still never he still never expects me to just teach him everything I mean I'm happy to because he is my other half but it doesn't matter that we're um married like we still he still needs to do the work and that's also another thing that came up that I was like oh not this rhetoric again um and I think that's why sometimes when it comes to having like conversations like this don't always rely on people of color to bring it up and to call people forward like you know I always get asked the question how do I be an ally and it is like kind of challenging these things that we just tolerate in our society which is yeah so not okay um but it's yeah it's just interesting it's just interesting how the onus is kind of always put on um, people of color and it, it shouldn't be that way um, the next thing that I uh, want to talk about for the last wee while is something that I've seen a lot um, in the online space recently and it's this feeling that I just haven't been able to put into words until most recently and when I was able to put it into words I was like oh I actually I see this a lot in my real life as well like it's not just happening online and it's something that I've noticed for my whole entire life but I've just never really been able to put it into words and because um, yeah and when I was able to put it into words I was like oh okay that makes a lot of sense now so there's this idea that I've been seeing and it's this question of why are we bending so much for the radicalized minority and this question kind of capsulates this attitude of a portion of the majority who get really annoyed right whenever there are when people speak to their Māori or when there's pride marches or you know even Muslim girls like me thriving happy wearing a hijab in public um i've seen this come up so much you know like if you are from a marginalized group and you know finally getting some equity in there and then there's a voice that always pipes up and it's well why are we bending backwards for this radicalized minority um and like it almost kind of makes me laugh because like this idea of equity is so threatening you know we are put into a box of radicalized minority and using that word 
radicalized kind of makes it sound like we're outliers we are extremists we are not the norm we are dangerous we are irrational we are crazy um which is just whack (laughs) i think it's just completely insane um but it is unfortunately something that i have seen for such a long time and especially it's happening a lot more in the uh online space and it was only when i was like kind of scrolling through tiktok that i realized oh actually this yeah this is how i'm going to articulate this feeling that i've been experiencing and i think there are so many people who who think like that whether they say it out loud or not um and these people come full force when um you know they think it's safe to kind of express these feelings like for example when the trump administration was active um you know (laughs) these people who who do kind of ask that question of why are we bending backwards um for the radicalized minority voting for trump to kind of protect their i whatever they think being an american is and protecting it from the radicalized minority from barging in um you know you you do see that attitude and i think with the rise of you know, white ring, ex- right wing, sorry, extremism, um, and white supremacy. I, yeah, I feel like that has, that question has, comes up quite a lot, um, and it's just so interesting. And the actual like TikTok that made me realize what it was, um, I, it's just like there's a TikTok page and this person. It just shares their journey of being non-binary. Um, and there were so many comments that kind of expressed that feeling. And it wasn't until I was going through the comments that I was like, oh, oh my God, yeah, that's that's what it is. Um, and I think when people do ask questions like that, it really highlights that sense of fragility, right? And it really highlights that, you know, they think that there's a sense of ownership, um, you know, on power and privilege and the way of living and us bending backwards over for the radicalized minority is um, dangerous. It threatens how we live life now and it's dangerous and um there is a huge sense of othering, right? Um, putting a divide between everybody else and then this radicalized minority. But the thing is, this minority is not as minor as this um, narrative says. There's a lot of people um, who, who identify as, you know, Maori, Pacifica, as a migrant, as queer, as, you know, it's just so big and there's, you know, you cannot ignore intersectionality as well. Um, there are, you know, for example, white women who are queer. So, you know, whoever is asking that question, are they excluding um, people who look like them but are also part of this radicalized minority. Um, I think it's, yeah, it's very, very interesting and something that I want to explore more because I think if we didn't have people asking that question, we would we would be on the road for a more empathetic um, 
Aotearoa, right? There would be more of a sense of solidarity um, and allyship. But where is that allyship and the solidarity when, you know, you're asking questions of why are we bending uh, for the radicalised community? There is um, separation, Um we are othering other people. We're setting up divides between us, which honestly, it makes no sense. Um, it makes no sense. And I'm not saying that everyone is going to happy as days get along. Um, unfortunately, human nature will just won't allow that. But I think at least we need that basic understanding that, you know, you're not going to understand everything about someone's identity, but at least everyone deserves to have the ability to live life in a way that honors how they genuinely want to be in this world, as long as it causes no harm to other people. And to give everyone the option to live life as they please and to go for whatever they want to go for without any invisible barriers in their way. Because um, it sucks to know that there are so many people out there who do not have the privilege, but have the work ethic and the dreams and the desire to, you know, complete X, Y, Z things but they will never ever be able to reach that and not because of their own doing, but because of, you know, systemic things, institutionalized things, um, you know, our values as a society kind of getting in the way um, and acting as a barrier towards that. I think that is horrible, Um, but it happens. And so, what kind of conversations do we need to be having? What kind of unlearnings and learnings do we need to set up, you know, for that question to not have any leg to stand on? Um, Because I think that question um, really holds us back from ever progressing. Because if we only ever see, you know, each other as something else, or in this case, a radicalized minority, um, how we ever ever going to progress right um sorry i feel like i just left y'all with more questions and answers but i think this is something that we need to explore together um but just to kind of recap the um, important nuggets or the nuggets that i hope you take away from this episode is the subtleties of blackfishing compared to something like blackface or cultural appropriation um and thinking about blackfishing of profiting of someone's identity right but without um acknowledging or taking on the burdens of the struggle of that particular culture and how as we as a community can kind of participate in productive conversations where we don't enable black fishing to happen um, and actually build up those identities and those communities that are suffering because of black fishing um, also you know what are we promoting when we participate in cancel culture and thinking about the fact that consequence culture still allows people to be held um accountable for their actions but we're having more productive conversations around the why and so it's not just a learning opportunity for that particular person but as a society right where 
on a wider level we're having a productive conversation around what is it that we need to know to do better collectively um yes thank you so much for tuning uh, tuning into this episode of headscarves and good yarns and i'll catch you for the next one thank you for tuning in into another episode of headscarves and good yarns to keep spinning the yarns let us know your thoughts you can find us on facebook and instagram at headscarves and good yarns or email us at headscarves and good yarn at gmail.com This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.